Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, hosted by Richardson Wealth, a podcast dedicated to helping Canadians with your total financial picture. Our approach is unique. We examine wealth through a multidimensional lens in order to offer you integrated strategies to grow and preserve the legacy you have built. I'm Sarah Widmeyer, Director of Wealth Strategies at Richardson Wealth, and this week we're discussing behavioral finance. Joining me today is our in-house expert on the subject, Craig Bassinger, Chief Investment Officer at Richardson Wealth. Craig, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a longtime listener of a whole bunch of different podcasts, so this is a special treat to be on the other end of it. Awesome. So I'm going to start with a really basic question. Craig, what do you do? <laughs> uh, we do a number of different things, but uh, on this topic of behavioral finance, we uh, we really started going down this path a number of years ago. And I mean, full disclosure, I accidentally have an education in both economics and psychology. Ooh. And, and behavioral finance is the combination of yeah. those two disciplines, putting them together. Now, I did not have any foresight into that. That was actually more of a mistake. I just wanted to go back to school for another year. But it actually worked <laughs> out. It actually worked out exceptionally well. Uh, I mean, behavioral finance is really... It's a combination of psychology and economics, but it's really the study of how we make decisions. Yeah. And, you know, we make decisions in a whole bunch of different ways. And we have certain experiences in our lives that dictate how we perceive things and how we come to our conclusions and make decisions. And, you know, most people think we make, you know, lots of rational decisions and everybody sort of weighs the pros and cons. But the fact is, that's really not what happens. And very often we rely on shortcuts in our minds and that can cause us to make some mistakes. So that's really cool. Um, so how is it then applicable to investing? I can already start to think about how, you know, selling at the wrong time, buying at the wrong time. But um, tell me a little bit more about that. How is behavioral finance or behavioral science really applicable to investing? Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole discipline has some pretty broad reaching uh, applications, both in government policy and other areas. But it seems to have really found a very strong following when it comes to investing. And I think the reason behind that is, you know, if we have all these shortcuts and biases that sort of help us get to our conclusions quicker than actually thinking about things too much. And those biases tend to rise up, especially when we're emotional. And like it or not, investing is a pretty emotional practice. I mean, it's your nest egg, it's your future, it's your your comfort in retirement that's at risk here mm -hmm. um, at either growing fast enough or even, dare I say, declining. So it's a very emotional uh, practice investing. And, and I think that causes a lot of these biases to rear their potentially ugly heads and potentially mislead people into making bad choices. Hmm. So can you give me an example of what a bias might be? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the most prevalent ones in society, and this goes even beyond investing, is is actually confirmation bias. And that's where we search out information that supports our pre-existing views. Um, if you watched, you know, the, any of the political debates recently, then you would have probably resonated better when somebody was talking about something that you already believed in. And when okay. somebody was saying the opposite, you were immediately discrediting them or not putting any emphasis on what they're saying. Uh, and this happens everywhere in life. This happens when you search things on the internet. 
I mean, Google knows what your preferences are and they tend to feed you pop right. ads. Right, that's a great that example. Feed your confirmation bias. I mean, there's, you know, they're not trying to give you the objective level playing field. They're trying to sell ads. So they know what you like and what you're more likely to click on and they'll feed that confirmation bias. But that's in everyday life. When it comes to investing, it, it can be negative as well because if you have a view on the markets, a company, a sector, uh, you're just more likely to read reports or opinions that support that view. Mm -hmm. And when you come across contrary or views against your pre-existing views, you kind of ignore those. And this can really cause, from a portfolio management perspective, you to miss turning points, uh, miss the other side of an argument. Uh, your portfolio can become too concentrated. I mean, if it's in one specific sector that you mm -hmm. really love, 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 you can then be taking on a lot of undue risk. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Performance chasing is is another common behavioral mistake, right? Not yeah. knowing when to sell. <laughs> well, yeah, and sometimes <laughs> or or knowing when not to hold. I mean, it yeah. can actually go both ways. Um, unfortunately, performance chasing is is probably amalgamation of a number of different biases. So, uh, performance chasing on the upside, like let's say marijuana stocks, mm -hmm. not now, but maybe six months ago, Stephen. But you know. Believing that you're missing out on something can cause people to say, hey, listen, my neighbor's making money by investing in this or whether it's technology or any other sector. And then that lures you off your you know, pre-existing path mm -hmm. that you're on to achieve your long-term financial goals because you want to do what your neighbor's doing or your right. fear of missing out. And you kind of that herd mentality then brings you over. And, and I mean, that's one aspect of performance chasing and our industry feeds it. We, I mean, there is no question that any asset management company is well aware of performance chasing. You cannot walk around any of the underground path during RSP season without seeing a giant mountain chart of a that's fund right. that's crushed it for the last five years. Mm -hmm. And that's trying to feed your, oh my God, I'm missing out. I need to get into that fund now. Right. Uh, but it can work the other way too, because very often uh, something stops working. Um, an investment style stops working and it can start underperforming and it can underperform for a number of years even. Uh, and in many cases, that's actually very often the worst time to sell because it's just out of favor for a number of years. Say it's value versus growth and it cycles and it goes back and forth. And if you you know, continually bail on what's not working looking at the last couple of years and try and chase what's been working for the last couple of years, you're effectively going to chase your tail and you're invariably going to end up with a smaller nest egg when you're done. Yeah. So it sounds like um, then behavioral finance is kind of protecting us from our worst selves or or protecting us from, um, you know, uh, performance chasing or FOMO, fear of missing out or um, overconfidence or it, it's protecting us from ourselves. Kind of. Does that make sense? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, I, I will... I'll flat out say that even studying behavioral finance will not help you avoid all of these mistakes. Uh, so <laughs> there's no guarantee. It's, it's not the cure, uh, but I but I will say uh, you know depending on what the biases are and depending on what sort of the mental shortcuts that people use, um, understanding what those biases are does go a long way in helping you sort of mitigate some of the potential risks. Um, even understanding confirmation bias. For our team on the asset management side, we understand it. If we have all of the same view on one aspect, we actually force ourselves to go read contrary reports or have a bull bear case where we task somebody with taking the other side of the argument to try and 
you know, just to try and improve the process. And that's a lot of what we do on the investment side. Um, but I think understanding them helps. And what also helps is sort of actually getting a second opinion. Um, even, you know, if you're an investor and I, full disclosure, advisors have just as many biases as the individual investor who doesn't. Oh, for sure. You can imagine how that would be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One of the neat things we've found with a lot of the survey work and interviews we've done with advisors and clients is very often they have different biases. So a client will be more likely to suffer sort of the herd mentality if they're hearing more of their friends at a cocktail party or making money on a certain area. Uh, advisors will suffer from different biases, sometimes overconfidence in their abilities to outperform the market. With We all have seen the stats that very few people do outperform the market over the long yeah. term. Um, but what the second opinion does uh, is they'll have different biases and they'll have different times. And when it's your emotions that really cause your biases to rise up and potentially mislead you, that increases the probability of that happening. When you do get that second opinion, they won't have that same emotional level. They won't have the same biases and you can potentially get to a better decision. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, are there unique biases that occur in volatile markets? Yeah, well, I mean, volatility brings out emotion and that brings out a whole bunch of different biases. But uh, there's there's probably two big ones that really uh, resonate. And I'm going to assume when you say volatile, you mean going down because that's... I guess, I guess, yeah. I mean, rising, no, but choppy. Everybody up loves down. upside yeah. volatility. Yeah. Bye, we, bye, we, we just call that a good market. Yeah. And then yeah. when it's going down, we call it volatile. <laughs> yeah. um, that's just, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's behavioral or not, but that could be more marketing. <laughs> um, but availability bias is a big one. So availability bias is the fact that we, you know, we all live many, many years, and there are certain events that have happened in our lifetimes that tend to be more vivid, mm -hmm. and they are etched in our brains, and we can recall those much easier. Mm -hmm. uh, a prime example, obviously, is you know the financial crisis in 2008, uh, early 2009, and you know it was a very vivid event. It was very volatile. Uh, a lot of people lost money during that period, although albeit made it back after if they stayed invested. But the fact is, it's such a vivid event. It causes people, even when markets are down 5% or something weird's going on in the credit market, everybody jumps to the conclusion that it's going to be the same thing again because it's such a vivid memory. Right. You know, lost is the fact that, you know, that was a credit-driven financial crisis. And the one previous to that was in the 1930s. So you could layer some statistics on that that chances are in 20 you know, 19 or 2020, we're probably not going to have the same kind of event again. But it was such a vivid memory that it's etched in people's minds and they make decisions based on that etching. And I'll even go back to the, you know, the early 2000s. Um, you know, you couldn't convince anybody to buy a company like Microsoft or Cisco mm. because it was after the tech bust. And people were like, that's etched in my mind. Technology right. equals bad. And that takes many, many years to dissipate and to fall off. And that's, you know, I think volatile markets cause that to come out quite a bit. The other is recency. Uh, you know, the, if the market goes down 5%, you know, this week, uh, you know, everybody's getting all fired up and concerned about what's going on. And, you know, the fact is the market has actually just gone back to where it was sort of three weeks ago. But you're only looking at what's going on right now. And you're okay. really overweighting today. And it's driving you to, I mean, two of our evolutionary characteristics is we want to react and protect. Mm -hmm. 
And that helped us. I mean, it helped us move from the savanna into civilization and it helped us avoid lions and that type of thing. But if you actually think about what reacting and protecting is, they are actually two of the behaviors that are terrible for investing. Right. Because protecting will invariably lead you to say, oh, okay, make me a little bit of money, but I just don't lose anything. So I'm going to be ultra conservative, even though your time horizons, you know, 20, 30 years till retirement. And reacting, obviously, is, well, reacting. And very often when it comes to investing, not reacting is the thing to do. And both of those are very difficult from an emotional, behavioral perspective for people to do. Hmm. So what strategies then can investors use to help mitigate and counter the biases? Yeah, so we've actually come up with a a number. We've, We've created a checklist that People can find on our on our website uh, that sort of talks about uh, what to ask yourself when you're making an investment decision. But we also, on the back of it, developed a number of tools that can really help. And you know, I will say one thing that can help you avoid behavioral mistakes is one: stop watching TV. Um, and don't get me wrong, TV's great. Uh, even financial news is uh, informative, but it's very often polarizing because, again similar to Google and similar to Facebook, they're trying to keep your eyeballs attached to that. So if they can give you a polarized view, they know more people will watch and more people will pay attention. And that's really what they're trying to do because they're selling ads and they need right. people to watch. Mm-hmm. So the, the media can be very misleading from that perspective. Um, you know, think of your future self. Uh, you know, depending on your age, depending on how long you're going to be investing for, uh, you know, what your long-term plans are. Uh, you know, one of the firms in the U.S. did this really neat thing with, uh, and it was U.S., so 401k down there versus our RSPs. But when young people would come on and open up an account, they would put their, they would take their picture and they would put it into facial a facial program that would age them 25 years. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, when you look at yourself 25 years from now, and depending on your age, you might not want to do this, but you know, when you look at yourself 25 years forward, uh, all of a sudden you go, that person's going to need some money because they look like they're going to be retired at that point. So I'm actually going to be more serious about saving. So thinking long-term really helps. Uh, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the markets, simply taking a break. It's very, very rare in our industry that you need to make a decision today. Don't ever feel pressured. And if you're unsure about it, sleep on it for a couple nights. That helps quite a bit as well. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, education is key. Uh, Learning about behavioral finance, learning about the benefits of long-term investing and sort of staying the plan, developing a long-term financial plan and then sticking with it can actually make you think longer term. And if you can continue to think longer term, you can easily defeat a lot of the behavioral biases that exist out there. Hmm. That's great advice. So um, how can clients and investors then leverage their advisor when it comes to behavioral biases? How can they work better with their advisor? Um, I, I think it's, you know, being open, honest, and, and asking a lot of questions. Uh, it comes down to it, even if... Uh, and, you know, our, our industry is quite special uh, in a lot of the relationships between a client and an advisor really change over time and everybody's relationship somewhat different. So they're all kind of customizable. But if you are unsure about things and you are uncertain and you are feeling emotional, talk to your advisor and tell them because it's possible they don't know um, mm-hmm. or aren't, you know, reading your, you know, subtle clues well enough. Uh, but really communicating uh, and learning more about this space and the whole investment process goes a long way. That's great advice.
Um, I think I'm going to become a lot more self-aware as to what my biases are. Um, and, you know, I, I, what I found very resonating was that whole uh, f uh, flight or protect um, and just being aware of those biases as I'm thinking about investing and, and thinking about working with my own advisor. Any other parting advice or things that you think we should be thinking about? It, it is kind of fun, but actually, if, if you try and lift yourself out of your everyday, I mean, we, we walk through life making decisions and like moving around and doing things. But if you can actually lift yourself out and, and look at the decisions you've made um, and analyze them from both sides, you know, what were you thinking at the time? What were you not thinking at the time? You know, what surprised you? Uh, one of the things we do on the investment side is, is we actually write down rationales on everything we do whenever we're doing anything. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very enlightening to then go back in time and read those and, and say, you know what, this, did, this was a bad decision. But, you know, reading my rationale at the time, I still agree with it, which means it wasn't a bad decision. It had a bad outcome. Mm -hmm. And trying to separate the outcome and the decision and the process, I think, is key for being a successful investor. And I think incorporating more of things that we can learn on behavioral finance can also help make you a better investor. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Craig. I certainly learned a lot. And uh, as I said, I'm going to take it forward as I think about how I'm investing and making some of the decisions that I am within my portfolio, of course, with my advisor. Craig, I'd like to thank you once again for joining us to lend your thoughts and expertise on this topic. If you'd like to learn more about behavioral finance to help you avoid some of the biases that may undermine your investing efforts, you can visit our website for articles and videos on the topic. Remember to subscribe to Conversations on Wealth wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn for a broad range of information on wealth strategies. Join us next time.